Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. What was I going to start by saying? I was going to start by getting Fraser to tell us about his... uh, Last time we met in the podcast, Fraser was about to take one of his weekend footballing trips. Yes. And tell us where you went and how it went, Fraser. I flew to Hanover, which is uh, very nice, uh, full of um, kitchenware shops, which is uh, good. Exciting. I got a train from there to Bremen. I went to see Werder Bremen. Uh, play, play against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Very exciting. 40,000 people. Stadium round. Last-minute uh, winner from uh, Borussia. And then the following day I went to Hamburg and said St. Pauli play, who were the famous red-light area club, which was just absolutely brilliant. The, the, the famous red light area club, go on. Yeah. So their supporters are what work in or patronise the red light. I'm just well, want to be clear what you mean the, by the this. The club is based in, in just by the Reefer Barn. Oh, really? Yes. That's an interesting It's 100 metres from the Reefer Barn, yeah. And they're very uh, left wing, uh, anti kind of fascist, anti big corporate money deals. It's almost, it's not owned by the club, but it cool. kind of is. Anti not paying for sex. All that kind that of That kind of thing, stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's great, fantastic atmosphere, unbelievable atmosphere. All three sides of the stadium that weren't. Uh, where I was, which was near Way End, were completely noisy the entire time. Lots of flags, everyone standing up. So the red cards flash. Oh yes, and you get a red card. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, did you miss the red card story last weekend, where the, the ref uh, went on the pitch and left the cards back in the dress, it's dressing room? Sure, tomato. And no, he actually just waved his hand. Wave a finger, cautionary <laughs> finger. Don't you do that again, Sonny? Sonny. <laughs> so there you go. Do you so see the referee carried off during one of the rugby games, injured. Oh, yeah, well, that's not uncommon, game. actually. I just, I, I did go out and put the kettle on and came back, and there he's been carted off. Not he pulled up, he ran very quickly. He pulled up, he pulled up. He pulled up, yeah. very slowly. Then he, he, he said he gamely tried to carry on. Yeah. Which and meant he, he didn't he, try he, at all, he hopped about. Yeah, he hopped about. And he'd done a groin. He'd done yeah. a groin, he'd done one of his groins. <laughs> now, this is before the game, where the BBC <laughs> was... One of his groins. It's what they always <laughs> I've got five groins. We don't want my spare groin. BBC had a terrible dereliction of duty in the coverage of that uh, game, which was England Scotland, because the pre-match entertainment at Twickenham was the fact there was a fox on the pitch. Wasn't I it? saw that. Yeah, yeah. It which you wouldn't believe it's possible for a fox to. You know, foxes were used to hide from people, didn't they? And they were nocturnal. This, this one went to find seventy thousand people yeah. shouting in, in in the same place. And of course, it was it was uh, come all the way from Scotland. Ardent <laughs> supporter. It was somehow caught during the anthems, but we didn't see this. Yeah. 
It irritates me. You know, you've got TV cameras there. What do we want to see? We want to see they cut away so, so as not mm-hmm. to encourage other foxes. <laughs> <laughs> but they used to make a There was an owl that sat on a goalpost recently. Do you remember that? That's there was, right, yeah. yes. Very recently. Where were we looking at uh, there? I can't yeah. remember. It was a big thing. No one can remember the score. Yeah, I don't remember the owl. There was that very embarrassment with that Hugh Grant. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Very interview when he said he played like a queen. No, he's, he said, I discovered... I thought he was rather good, actually. He said, he said the, the briefest interview at half-time, because he was there, and they thought, let's yeah. get him in the commentary box, Hugh Grant. And he only had time for one line. He said, you used to play rugby, didn't you? He said, yes, I did. He said, where did you play? I think he's played at the centre or something. I can't mm. remember where. And he said, how did you get on? He said, well, I, I, I discovered that it's far easier to... It hurts less if you go in hard than if you tackle like a queen. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind of standard theatrical humorous stuff. Of course, the day later, BBC has to officially apologise for homosexual slur. Oh, you know, which I thought, this is just a bit stupid. You know. Oh, so you know, stupid. Hugh Grant, I'm sure, doesn't have to explain to anybody. Yeah, he's he's kind of actually having a drink half time. He's done him a favour. Well, for God's sake, it. it's a bit of banter. At, you know, also, I don't think anyone has ever tackled him would be like a queen ever. Imaginable. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we're joined. Yes. We're joined by uh, McMill- yeah. Macmillan once again. Oh, Macmillan, I can't Macmillan. say it. And Ian, since you were last here, you've been granted a huge honour, which I want to hear more about, which is you've been, you've been where we'd all like to go. You've been on Desert Island Discs. Yes, I have. Who's... Is that my... That's Kirsty's phone. I hear my ears are burning. I hear, I feel. Yeah. You were on Desert Island Discs. And I want to know, I want to know completely soup to nuts. I want to know what it's like, the whole thing. He was also right. terrifically good on it. Well, well, I have to say. Don't yeah. say he really well, was. They ring you up and they, you think... They just a, ring you up. They ring you up and they go, would you like to be on Desert Island Disc? It's as simple as that. And you go, this is a joke. And you go, really, me? Desert Island Disc? They go, yes. They say, here's a few dates. And so, but they still think it's a joke. You go, right, I can do it on that day. I can do it on that day. And then they say, they send a researcher up from Leicester. I don't know why Leicester. And they sit around. <laughs> could be Loughborough. It might be Hinkley. But they send a researcher from Leicester. And we have a long interview with the researcher from Leicester who right. asks all the things. Then you And I thought you might have to choose a long list... And they'll pair it down to eight, but they chose eight records, any eight records. So that was interesting, so you could choose eight. And I wanted to choose eight that you could tell a story around, because that's how it works. So then you get there, and you're a bit nervous... Because you think, by Kirsty, and there's all that. And but have they, they agreed the eight records? That's been agreed, agreed obviously, yeah. That, they kind of, but they, all yeah. the eight I sent them, including things like Captain Beefheart yeah, right. and the Four Minutes of Silence, because I was surprised nobody had chosen that. Oh, before. yes, yeah, yeah. And I thought, and I said, well, I said, we'll have the Four Minutes of Silence. Yeah. And they said, they of didn't course, play the whole thing, to be fair. You're not allowed, because um, <laughs> an, an emergency tape kicks that's in right. after 20 yes. seconds. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> that happened to me on Radio <laughs> Leeds once. I said, for a joke, let's start the show on Radio Leeds by pretending the microphones aren't working. Yeah. And so for a bit we sat there, and then after 20 seconds, Barry White comes in for half an hour. You have half an hour of Barry White. <laughs> that shatters your reverie, <laughs> doesn't it, every time? Yeah. So you get there, and, and I thought, stupidly, thinking that I knew about radio, was that you just do the interview and they play the discs in later on. Yeah. But in fact, they play them and you react to them. Oh, so, that's so a good idea. So I'd, like, I'd like Donald Where's Your Choosers. So we had Donald Where's Your Choosers and you sit and listen to it. And, and, and then I suppose that's so that you can, you can react properly off the back. Sure. Absolutely, quite rightly too, actually. But, Captain Beefheart, I chose uh, 
I chose Moonlight on Vermont, which isn't, it's not a terribly radical Captain Beefheart track. And as we're listening to Captain Beefheart, I could hear the producer going, can we lose this now? Yeah, yeah. Can we lose the mighty Captain? We've so, just had 20 seconds of Donald, where's your trousers? We don't watch this. But they, yeah. edited, they edited a bit on the programme anyway, don't they? They, they don't play the full we record well, on we, the programme. They don't, right? No, they don't play the full record, no. I would have um, thought they would leave it so they can condense it later. To well, then sure they do a shorter version for the podcast, don't they? Because they've started oh, yeah. to make it available for yes. podcasts, but they can't run the whole music. That's because so funny. I love the idea of hearing a voice go, <laughs> oh, God, not Captain <laughs> Beefheart! Well, afterwards, yeah. she said, I think that's boys' music. They said, no, I don't think it is. I know a lot of women that like Captain Beefheart. Do you? Yeah. Introduce me. <laughs> My producer at the verb, Laura, she's a big Captain Beefheart. There's hundreds of them. They go around in a bus. They have a minibus trip. <laughs> Captain Beefheart trips. But then, of course, the radical thing was having um, the four minutes 33 of silence. And they said, well, the, the, you can only play a bit of it. And it's got to be obvious that you're there. Then they don't think that the, think the radio's broken down. Yes, sure. So you can't just have of course. silence. Dead then they, they found some recordings of it that were stupid ones because they were kind of taking the mickey because they did it at the proms a couple of years ago and the guy got up in the tailcoat with the dicky bone and he tapped the thing, he tapped with his baton. And so that was taking the mickey out of it. And to me, the beauty of that piece is just that it makes you listen to whatever's happening around you. So, yeah. now, I, I, I don't understand this. This is the John Cage mm-hmm. style, silence. Yes, 4 minutes 33. And it's in four three minutes moments, 30. I didn't realise. <laughs> it is. The second moment's the best. Honestly, I didn't so You're allowed that. to get up and get ice cream after That's 5 minutes 20 seconds. But, <laughs> now, tell me the history of this. Was this initially a recording or a... It, was it can't be a scored piece of music. It was a scored piece, yes. It was a scored piece. Um, but what do you hear? You hear the sound in the room. Oh, yeah, you do, which is so lovely. So chairs creaking and chairs people creaking, breathing and... People going, has it started yet? <laughs> people but that, that would be very wildly from performance and to that's performance. The beautiful thing so about it's it. a recording. So, really. Well, it, it can be a recording, no, it can be a live performance. But the great thing about it is, once you've heard it once, you think, all right, I'll divide my life into four minute 33 segments. So I think, well, I'm just going for a bit of 4.33. And you go and sit in the garden. So I sit in my garden. Lovely. I can hear Mr Lowe cutting his grass. I can hear the kids down the street Yeah, birds football. singing. And yes. it makes you listen. It really makes you listen. No, sure. But on the, on the radio show, they said, you can't just have silence because they might think the radio's broke. So you must react. So I said, maybe it'd be all right if Kirsty laughed. Just have a little giggle. So, uh-huh. But then what actually happened was... Because I'd been nervous, suddenly my stomach went off. So that made a laugh, and that was all right, and that was fine, and that was okay. And that but was I love the idea that you could hear a, a live version of that and, mm. and react to that in a way as you would to any normal piece of music. So yeah. I love that particular live version, the one in Japan. Because mm. after two minutes, the you know, trombone player knocks a Coca-Cola can over. <laughs> yes. You know, that's that's so it's always gonna, it's always going to be different. Yeah, it's like that CD that that guy did of two-minute silences that weren't two-minute silences because any two-minute silence, like at a football match or at the cenotaph. A, a, a plane will fly over. Yeah. Or a bird will Or some idiot. Yeah, one idiot will shout. Drunk yeah, that's right. That, personal, it happened yeah. the other day at the Man United. Oh, game, God, we should talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's that's interesting. So that's why I loved it so much, and I thought they would take the mickey out of it, but they didn't. And I was very pleased to choose as my book uh, the great Roy Fisher, the, one of the best poets in English, Roy Fisher, and it was great to choose him. And then the very small publishing company that published him reported a spike in his sales. I mean, not, not a huge oh, spike. Oh, how thrilling. That's interesting, isn't it? You, you, you talk about this poet who was one of the great English poets and then, whew, a few people buy it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because the thing about radio is, as you know, you must always... I always try and forget there's people listening because then you get nervous. Yeah. You think, blimey, there's a football stadium full. Listening to this, then oh, you completely. get all tongue-tied. But if it's just you and Kirsty in a room, that's all right. And, of course, men of a certain age asked, what's she like? <laughs> Anyway, we, we weren't going to ask, actually, <laughs> if you mean well, you, by you, that you, ask. You have your hand, head yeah. on your hands, you know, yeah. just staring moon-faced I said, yes, and she was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
The first time I met her was when I did Have I Got News For You and she was the chair, and that was nice. So that, and so I had met her before. But so I suppose she, she could be a bit intimidating, I guess, but it was just very nice. You just sit, sit there. And it's a very surreal thing to sit with Kirsty listening to Donald Wears Your Trousers. It gives it an odd kind of mock erotic aspect that it never had before. <laughs> you think to yourself, how odd? You know, it's almost as if I'm on Desert Island Discs. Yes, you, know, that, you felt as if you were dreaming. It was like that, yeah. Because it's such a familiar format mm, in every is. respect, isn't it? And what amazed me was how many people heard it. You know, oh, like, and, and I'd forgotten how many people listened to it. And so people are... People are every, when I did a gig or when I did went anywhere, heard you on Desert Island Discs. What interested me was that more people heard the Friday one than the Sunday one. Yeah. You'd think more people would hear the Sunday repeat, because yeah. it's a day off. But a lot of people heard the Friday, oh, the initial broadcast. So, yeah. yeah, it was a great so, thing to do. So did you have, um, you know, when they rang you up and you got over the, you know, the, it's not a joke and so forth, yeah. you must have been carrying around in your head for years the oh, Fantasy yeah. Eight that yes, you did. You did. I, I mean, did. all men do that. Is that right, Mark? Oh, I do that. Absolutely. You've got, you've got your eight, haven't you? If they called you now, you'd know what your eight were. I'd, I'd have to think, for the but, boring reason, that, that there's a structure to that programme, isn't there, yeah. about, you know, you need one that illustrates um, something in your youth. Yes. You need one that's attached to a story. I mean, it's not just your eight favourite records, is no, it? No, no, no. It's, yeah. In fact, it's boring if it's eight favourite records. Yeah, that would be very dull. But also, I did that terrible thing that you do where you think, actually, I'd better have a piece of classical music or they'll <laughs> think I'm as thick as I said. Oh, that's all, yeah. <laughs> that was, <laughs> there's, 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 always that, there's always a piece of classical music. There's always yeah. a kind of group that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, Tony Blair, when he was the uh, Prime Minister, chose a group called Ezio, I mm. think they were called, and uh, they were playing the Shepherd's Bush Empire, I remember that, uh, the night that he, he mentioned them. And uh, no disrespect to Tony Blair, I'm very fond of, that group never worked again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've ever heard of them. That was the group he decided was his hot tip. But people very often go in the, on there and play something, you know, somebody I heard playing in a bar when I was oh, on, yeah, 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 on yeah. holiday in Spain. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic guitar. I want to hear your eight. Come on, you've got them ready, haven't you? Do it now, if Kirsty's listening, because think that's a great record. <laughs> she will. No yeah. comedy I go for long walks and I, I do when I've got nothing better to think about I do think about this and uh, I don't know entirely my eight but I know it only have one pop record oh my lord do you know which one it would be yeah the, the Beatles if I fell Oh, right. Um, just because it's not... Why, if I felt... Just this, because we're, 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 I just love it. Try out the riff now. Let's see if it works. <laughs> see, Kirsty, this I is what remember, he would say if, I you, remember going if to you, see, you played it, if you I let him play it. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd love to play it, by the way, if I you're remember, listening. I can remember going to see Hard Day's Night when it opened in, in Dewsbury, at the Dewsbury Pioneer, which was a cinema above the co-op. Mm. used to approach by a big metal gated lift and in those days you didn't go to one performance you went you just went in when the film was on and as a consequence right. I saw it three times in the you day could, you could stay for long you, you just stayed yeah, there yeah, yeah. And, uh, and my favourite bit was If I Fell and it just crystallises my love affair with the Beatles that particular fantastic record. and I would have the Welsh national anthem sung by the <laughs> the fans at Cardiff Arms Park and I'm not Welsh at all but I just love the sound of that, you know. So that's the sort of no, stuff I would think. Really interesting. I want to know more. Well, I just I love, I love sport and I, I love choral singing and that seems to be the finest expression of it. And it takes me back to, you know, you know, dark afternoons in winter with Bill McLaren on the, you know, on the television and so forth. You know, it's just, it's just, it has a huge atmosphere to me. It makes me feel Welsh every time I hear it. But you I'm not Welsh see, at all. You, you've identified the key thing. It's about, it's about music. It's a soundtrack to a moment in your life. Yes, it's just a great yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah so It's got to be a narrative, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's that, it's that kind no, of Bruce thing. Spring, it's comedy Spring, record. David no, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen. No, Bruce Springsteen. Not good enough. No, but I would have uh, uh, Jonathan Agnew and Brian Jonas, you know, corpse in at the, uh, you know, the test match. Are you allowed to have us? I think you probably. Are you not? It's not a song. Is it? Oh, okay. See, this is, Ian chose. Oh, you're the expert. Of music. Uh, I don't think you're allowed. I don't think you're allowed speech. 
No, no, surely. Ooh. I bet people have chosen. Because if you weren't, people would have chosen. Yeah, Richard Burton on the beaches. Yeah. Yeah. Under milk wood. But imagine that for 50 years on a desert. That's the other thing you've got to think. Can I live with Captain <laughs> course, B for 50 yeah. years on a desert? What was your luxury item? The luxury was a. Because it, it, the luxury has to be that. You can't have anything that is any use. So I thought I'd miss my wife and kids and grandson really? so much that. Yeah, Andy not, Kershaw had a, a, a roll of lavatory paper. Well, he shouldn't have had it. He calls, Some people well, he's, said, he's a hard man. He calls that a luxury. Some, that's true. <laughs> oh, you northerners. He's from Russia. You're from Hampshire. You would have had it given to you. Compulsory. <laughs> so some people chose a boat or a rocket, but you're not allowed to choose that. So oh, yeah. I chose um, a kind of version of that goodies bike that they had with the three seats. Oh, yeah. And it would be uh, me at the back. Then I'd have wooden models of my wife and kids <laughs> yes. and grandson, and I could cycle them around the thing because I had no practical use. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant! <laughs> oh, I was one of the family bike ride years ago when our kids were younger. We were on holiday in the United States, and there was a big cycle path down the beach, and we hired bikes, and we all went in a long crocodile. My wife and I, two, three kids on bikes, and at the end of it, my wife said, "Do you know? I think that's the happiest we've ever been as a family." <laughs> I said, "Why?" He said, "He said." We were all together, but we couldn't speak to each other. <laughs> That's so great. And there's nothing people can argue about at all. They all have their individual bike. You know it's I mean? so brilliant. You aren't trying to force them into any collective activity. Yeah. You know? The yeah. thing is, I'm unusual in that. In fact, that would be useless, uh, that luxury, because I can't ride a bike. You cannot ride a bike? Ride a bike. I've tried once or twice. You and, and Jonathan Sellers are Have you still got stabilisers? I, I couldn't even do it then. I had little <laughs> stabilisers. I can't swim, drive or ride a bike. So I think then that's, kind of, that's good to have all those three. You can't swim? Can't swim. Oh, what, really? not at all, or...? Well, in fact, I know. In fact, no, I'm just trying to think of a way out of that, but no, I can't swim. So if <laughs> no, I, fell, I, mean, I suppose I... you have a car, but you, you can. I mean, well, if I got on a bike and fell off in the sea, <laughs> I was trying to ride a bike, God. and I can't drive. I'm amazed you can't ride a bike. Well, it's just, I had a couple of goes, and my dad, you know, let me go, and then I fell off, and I hurt myself, and I fell off again, and I thought, actually, you don't need to ride a bike in your life, you know, I mean, I, I keep fit, I walk about, I'm right, a fit yeah, guy, sure, don't, sure. you don't need to ride a bike, it's not essential, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a cycle courier, but you, so I don't need I to ride a bike. of that luxury of being a father, being able to turn to your children at some point and go, the important thing is, when you fall off a bike, to get, get back on back it. It's <laughs> the one very few moment, actually, in parenthood, where you actually feel you've got some superior knowledge you can pass on, and you're in charge. I, I can remember, remember that I can remember with all of mine, letting yeah. go of the saddle. On the first or sail into a brick wall no. and be so traumatised that they'll never get back on again. I've done all that with them. I've let them ride. They can ride. I That's just don't want it myself. Well, well. When you were teaching them... All right, here's my question to you. When you were teaching them how to ride a bike, be honest now, mm. did you ever let let them know that you yourself oh, yeah, were unqualified said, to teach I them? I can't ride a bike. But then why did they bother to listen to your advice? Yeah, that's amazing. See, a guy who can't ride a bike who's brained himself when he was four is trying to tell me that I should now push and turn the wheel this way. They no always thanks. thought that everything I said was ridiculous anyway. So if I just said, look, I'm going to teach you how to ride a bike, they go, yeah, did it'll they? be swimming tomorrow, Dad, won't it? And then it could be a few car lessons. <laughs> this is brilliant. Oh, you're really cheering me up as a so, parent. <laughs> at the end of your uh, Desert Island Disc, had you rehearsed whether you were going to, you know, because they always say, Ian McMillan, thank you for letting us hear mm. your Desert Island Disc. Yeah. And I always listen carefully to hear what they're going to say. I always, I said, I was going to say thank you very much, and I was, and uh, this is ridiculous. This is true, and I haven't told anybody this yet. But I was going to go thank you very much, Kirsty, and for a laugh, I was going to going to put a comedy whistle in this. I was going to go thank you very much, Kirsty. How <laughs> <laughs> I, I could do that? But I, I'm chickened out to the last minute. I don't blame you. No, it would have been a terrible thing to do, wouldn't it? But it would have been great. We'd have got on pick of the week, wouldn't we? <laughs> Thank you very much, Kurt. <laughs> That's just, come on, what? You must it's, have... It's, yeah, I find it's really good if you've been... This is I good think, radio, isn't it? It is, because if you've been told off by a superior, I always tell my kids, 
just put that in. Just put the comedy whistle in there so it deflates the situation. They go, look, I'm really annoyed with you. You go, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise <laughs> profoundly and profusely for my misdemeanour. <laughs> And it's just been a great little bit out of life of pride, isn't it? It's Waterwick, isn't it? Fuck for Waterwick, you know. It's just, sometimes people yeah. can't help it, but you can. You, you just, you just. That is good. So again, genetically, your children have yeah, they can, inherited. They can, they can, they can inherited do that. that. They can ride a bike. They can. They can ride a bike, and they can. <laughs> and again, it's of no practical use. Oh, I can't do this. <laughs> but then it gets a bit addictive, and then you find yourself doing it. When he shouldn't be doing it. So, like, the police stop me and they go, what, are you going a bit, were you walking a bit fast there? I said, I'm like, sorry. I'm <laughs> I just can't help it. What was, what was the, do you remember the, the Phil Collins uh, single? Was it called Susudio? <laughs> what, was, what was it called, Ian? Susudio. And it was cost, and it was cost. Derek Guiler would do it, wouldn't he? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a combination. Oh yeah. Derek Guiler. Derek Guiler. Derek Guiler was a was a virtuoso on what instrument? The washboard. The washboard. Because yeah. every point He's in any Sykes episode, he'd come and do it, wouldn't he? Hello, Sykes. Oh, I used to love Derek Guiler. On, he was he was the caretaker on Police. Yes, he was. He was just a rat, you know. An unlikely scouse, wasn't he? Yeah, I suppose so. He was a scouser. Very odd-looking person. He was very odd-looking <laughs> But he had a good career. You know, he was never out of work. Never out of work. You never are when you can do that. No, you absolutely. Watchboard. perfect. So to wrap up the Desert Island Disc yes. thing, after you've done it, do, do they send you a letter and so forth saying thank you very much? I mean, are there any further formalities we should know about? No, do you get a it. scroll or anything like that? No, I thought I might get invited to a Desert Island Disc's Party, uh, but I haven't done. So that's it. You, do they have you them? Might get inv- you might. So they have them. Are the ca- oh, they Castaway they Central? They but you be. might come back because they have people more than once. Who, who they have more than once? They have loads of people. Oh, they've got to be somebody. People like Peter Eustonoff. You know, yeah, he was on about seven times. I bet Stephen Fry's been on two or yeah. three times. You know, there's certain people that just can't <laughs> avoid. That. And they just, if they've got long enough careers, they leave it twenty it's years. Funny, I, I did a, people can't remember. I did a thing with Stephen Fry recently in Bradford, and we were doing this filming in uh, Saltaire. Oh yes, and I've never worked with anybody so famous. That, and the gag was that he's meant to come up the steps to the, the station at Saltaire and he meets me and we're talking about Yorkshire dialect and we're looking at this map of Yorkshire and service buses stopped and everybody on the bus got off and the driver and they all got off. <laughs> Kids from a local school came out of the school in a crocodile and all stood around for Stephen Fry. So who's that with Ian McMillan? That's right, that's right. <laughs> they should have done. It was amazing. I've never, it was astonishing. I mean, you can tell who he is, obviously. He's so big. Look, yeah, but what an amazing thing. And he also, also he always looks like Stephen Fry. Yeah, he does. I mean, like, it's not that he, he always has yeah. a sort of uh, bow tie and yes. cartoonishly. He just never looks like anyone else. Mm. Whereas a lot of people go for the baseball cap, the shades and the, the big baggy jersey, don't they? Like Cliff Richard, who I once saw getting out of a taxi in Leicester Square with a hanky over his face. And he was still like that with a hanky over his face. Yeah. And people are going... Who's that bloke with a hanky on his face? Well, it must be Cliff Richard. Yes, right. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't have a hanky on his face. Holding a handkerchief yeah, he was. in front of his face. So that people wouldn't recognise him. Oh, <laughs> Sunglasses not good enough. No, Just really. Oh, that's tragic. tragic. The Word Podcast. Walking the digital dog since 2007. Football season hotting up. Certainly for Queen's Park Rangers it is. It is, oh, is isn't it? Yeah. Ten Rangers. points ahead at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Until the points deduction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I read on Ian's site a terrific poem uh, that you, you did for Radio 4, I think. Did I you? did it for the when we were, after we played that first game in the World Cup, and we were so disastrous against <laughs> the USA. And it was about that idea that when, whoever you support, it's always the hope <laughs> that gets you. So it's about the England team, but I think it's also about any team, really. So 
It goes like this. I won't do any comedy whistling there, because it'll... <laughs> there'll be no gravity. <laughs> Will we hear the half-time whistle? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Each time they play, we always think it'll be like 1966, and it might be the crowd, and it might be the drink as the voices raise and the glasses clink, and the tactics fail and the passing stink, but each time they play, we always think it'll be like 1966. But the game is a mess and nobody clicks and nothing connects when the players kick, and you feel slightly cheated, a little bit sick, and it's nothing like 1966, because in the end, it's the hope that defeats you. In the end, it's the hope that deflates. In the end, the expectation's more than you can bear as they watch your match from behind your chair with your dad and six of your weeping mates and you punch the wall and you tear your hair because the hope is more than you can bear and it's nothing like 1966 when they're running like chickens and heading like bricks so here's my advice assume they'll lose when you've sung the anthem sing the blues pretend you're watching Rochdale, Barnsley, Peterborough, Pompey, Hull or Berry because football's up and down like a channel ferry and you're sometimes miserable and sometimes merry if you don't build them up you can't knock them down if your goal is a fool your striker's a clown your midfield's toiling and your manager's thick and it's not too much like 66. Expect nothing. Expect nothing. That's Macmillan's law. Then you'll be happy with a nil-nil draw. But you don't really believe that, though, do you? No, because... You uh, can't make yourself no. expect nothing, can you? As a Barnsley fan, as a Barnsley <laughs> as season a ticket holder, any... every week You are I the go. poet in residence of Barnsley. I am. It's a, it's a, How are Barnsley life. doing? We're, we're, in, we're mid-table. We, right. um, which is better than last season, where at this point we were struggling against relegation. Um, and so every week you go, I mean, we're just recording this podcast a couple of days before we play Reading. Now, Reading are a good side, but oh, at yes. this moment... Biscuit boys. At this moment, I think we'll probably beat Reading 5-0. I think oh, it's going to be a great game. We're going to beat them 5 Thursday. That's right. So Thursday, I think we're going to win them 5-0. Right, Friday, yeah. it'll be 6-0. Up until the moment my mate Mick picks me up at the bus stop, he takes me through to the game, I get in the seat, I sit in my seat, H192, the bloke who comes from Newcastle sits behind me, taps me on the shoulder, what do you think this week, 6-0, 6-0, <laughs> and that, that's up to 2.59. That's up to oh, that's <laughs> at 3 o'clock, no, yeah. at 3 o'clock, reality sets in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We realise we're not that good, yeah. Reading are very good. They score one, we think, I don't matter, we'll get another we'll one. Back. We'll be back. When we played Chelsea in the Premier League years ago, and they beat us 6-0, I remember... The man behind me from Newcastle, he says, do you know, I think it'll be nil-nil this week. <laughs> and then he's gone six. But that's what the thing. And then next week, you're back again. And it's, it's ridiculous, because we do win some, you win some, you win, you don't, you don't win some. But then every week you think, this is going to be our game. And Can I say I think this is untypical of, of the average football supporter? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm an optimist I, by nature. No, no, you, no I would say it was the reverse. Hmm. If you go to the Crown and Sceptre at... Um, half past two on a Saturday afternoon, wait for the Rangers support together. There's a lot of grumbling and there's a lot of despair and there's quite a lot of pessimism. And I think they're just hoping to hoping for a draw, for like not this season, admittedly, but normally. And I think they start off expecting the worst and often I think there's a quiet confirmation, the warmth of feeling of being you were right, actually, that you get out the end of it and think, well, you know, I've been, I've been proved right. I, I think, think if you went down. expecting the worst every week, you'd stop going. That's uh, true. I think it's, it's, it's the fact that you sure. never learn. There's the a defense. rhythm, there's a cadence to football, which is very strongly connected with failure, I think. Mm. Other people's failure rather than just your own. Yes. I don't know. I think you've had your own failures in the week, but here are a lot of people failing very publicly, very transparently. And, it's a difference uh, between the optimistic outlook on life, isn't it? The pessimistic. Yeah, outlook. I mean, I, so I, I share your op- yeah. outlook because I think I'm, we're very similar. We're both very mm. optimistic. Yeah. And so I go there with wanting it, to, wanting it all to happen. But, but some people go because they know they're going to enjoy the fact that they lose. There are, there are pessimists in the ground. There are Absolutely. pessimists there who go, well, they're rubbish. And you think, well, why have you come? Why come to see the game? Because 
the rest of their life, in a sense, they can't control. But here they can go, I had 90 minutes, and I knew they were going to be bad, and they are bad. And, yeah. it's, and, and, and I don't know, that's the kind of thing they do. The, uh, the last England game I went to, which uh, we lost disastrously to the French, the friendly at Wembley, there's two guys from, who travelled down from the Midlands for the game. Both spent the first ten minutes moaning and, and bitching and swearing about how bad England were, and then left. <laughs> Didn't come back. <laughs> and how much ten, ten minutes? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Th- th- come, I do not. And they travelled 120 miles. <laughs> then they go. Bizarre. We showed them. We showed that England. <laughs> yeah. We only yeah. gave them ten minutes. We made our point. <laughs> we I walked. Just, I just feel that 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 you have to suffer in football, like in life. Mm. Yeah. And therefore, I have to. You know, I have to rehearse the worst possible scenario in my head and convince myself that I've somehow experienced the pain already. Mm. And therefore, when it actually occurs, it won't be so bad because I've been there in my head. I've thought about what's the worst thing that can possibly happen. Um, and, and so I go into all these things thinking that. Thinking it somehow armoured my, myself, but I sort of haven't really. Because when it... When the pain comes, it still pierces just as badly. And the thing is, you hadn't expected it. It happens in front of you in real time. That's the great thing about football, isn't it? It's not like you're going to see a film or a play that's going to be the same tomorrow night. In real time, from three o'clock until quarter to five, huge things are happening. You know, drama, fast, comedy, tragedy. Yeah. Foxes on the pitch, ridiculous (laughs) things. Owls. Owls on the thing. Yeah. Uh, A man ran past with a. A thatch of red hair, and this man behind me shouts, That looks like a busted cushion. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line. And things like that happen. A, a kind of theatre happens all the time. And, and, and so that's why, that's why I think we, we invest so much in it, because it's happening in real time. And if you're a fan who's been a fan of a team for a long time, then you are used to the ups and downs. You're trying to take the long yes. view. You say, I'm yeah. going to take the long view. But in the end, it's not the long view, it's those 90 minutes that do now, it. Don't you find What's the lowest point? I want to know what the lowest point there's a, there's a bit at the very beginning of Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby, which I'm sure everyone listening is probably read, actually, where he's going to an away match. Arsenal mm. playing Chelsea away in that horrible little compound, the reserve mm. for, the, for the away supporters. And it's snowing, and they've lost 3-0. And they're then kept in the compound for their own safety after being mocked by the, the, the Chelsea supporters. And a guy gets on a roller and rolls the pitch, and they're in this little tiny cage. And he describes it as brilliant. He goes, up, down, the finger. Up, <laughs> down, the finger. Every time this guy... And it takes a long time when he, just, when he gets there. Because he can give them the finger, because yeah. they, are, they are incarcerated in this sort of netting. And he said, that was the lowest point. Yeah. I, 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 it was a, it was a real comparative. But it's, but it's the hate that keeps you going, isn't yes. it? Yes! It's a really important point, yes. isn't it? A very and it's not, even, it's not even usually the hate of the team you're playing. Yeah. It's the hate of the team that you, you mark yourself against, exactly. isn't it? Well, and we, I often wonder if this is the same overseas. You know, that I've heard people say this about American football, that American sport doesn't have the same passion at all because it doesn't have any hate. It doesn't have any derbies. No, it well, doesn't. To a great it? extent. No. Mm. There's, there's none of that kind of Tottenham, well, Arsenal, well, friction or Man United. Yeah, because there's no one near well, there's enough. There's franchises, you know, yeah, you apart from New York Denver and, 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 and oh, yeah, yeah. Boston, and, and L.A. Most yeah. of them are a single team mm. town. That's true. But it's the level of hate in British sport. It's quite Very startling. Well, it's so you're not going to get this from Ian, because he's not that kind of guy. Well, there must be a low point. Tell us about a low the, the, point. the low point for me was when we were in the Premier League and we played Liverpool, and there was a referee called Gary Willard. It was only, it was only, it was very small. I, I, I think still remember his name, by the yeah. way. There's a wax effigy of him at home full of knitting needles, was, isn't there? He knows he was, where he lives. Yeah. He was about as big as a pepper pot, and he, he sent three of our players off during the game. And this man next to me, who's never moved, suddenly said, I'm going to get him, and he leapt. 
onto the pitch <laughs> and ran to tackle the referee. And Jan Agafjortoft, who never did anything, tackled the bloke. And so then Gary Willard took both sets of teams off. We thought the game had been abandoned. They came back on. We somehow got got it to a draw. It was two all, and then McManaman scored in the last minute, and Fantastic. then turned and celebrated. In Fantastic! Front. It was an amazing game to be at. But at the time, they're going. They don't want us to stay up. That knows. People thought it was a conspiracy oh, yeah, against the mighty Bounds. Oh, yeah. It wasn't that. That was that was a strange <laughs> thing. But in terms of local rivalries, our one is Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. And they're in a different league now because they're in, the, in League One. But we call them Didas because they speak in a certain way. Because of the isogloss, as the linguists call it. Oh, go on. Um, well, isogloss is where language changes within a small uh, geographical space. So if you walk down the A61 from Barnsley to Sheffield, I would set off and I would go, now then, now then, now then. As I'm getting closer, I go, now then, now then, now then, now then, now then. And a, Sheffield, a Sheffielder's mouth, they'll say, I'm just going to park my car in car park, Danos. And they go, they go the hard dirt. They go, now then, now then, do what they are doing, dear D. My Uncle Jack, my Uncle Jack was... My Uncle Jack was a D-Dar, he lived at the back of Hillsborough, and he had this fantastic D-Dar joke. He'd go, now then, if Dad gives me four coins, I can give you four towns. You go, right, you give him four coins, and he puts one on top of the other, and he goes, Dublin. Then he moves them about, and he goes, Altrincham. Then he, then he grips them, and he goes, Oldham. Then he puts them in his pocket, and he goes, Dundee. Oh, <laughs> and that only works in Sheffield. But anyway, so when we play, when we play Sheffield Wednesday, because we call them D-Dars, we, they come in and we go, D-Dar, 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 and they, they call us Dingles, because they think that they're big city sophisticates and we're like the Dingles on Emmerdale Farm. Yeah, so it's yeah, a fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. So I wish somebody could land from Mars and just watch this because we're going dee da dee da dee da they go dingo dingo. And legend does it. And in fact, it's true that they, I'm sure they once had a player on trial called Doodoo. So it was Doodoo Dee Da. Which oh, is fantastic. This is absolutely. So, and that's the kind of. That's the thing. I think there's a there's a very great rivalry between Wednesday and, and Barnsley, except that, of course, Wednesday in the other league now and Sheffield United are about to join them. <laughs> So it'll be two D-Dars in the same it's thing. incomprehensible, isn't it? It is. Well, it is. That's, nobody understands the word I'm saying. The other great isogloss is, of course, in North Derbyshire, where if you go south from Sheffield into North Derbyshire, your house becomes your ass. So, I think, oh, wow. so my, you know, my, my Auntie Mabel was from Staveley, and she used to say, I've just had double glazing fitted in my ass. <laughs> yeah. Really? I've, I've got a detached ass. I want to detached ass. I've got a council ass. I used to have a private ass. <laughs> are those disappearing, those? Uh, they kind of are, although it, it, not as much as you think. The D-Dar hangs on. Some of the very small bits. Uh, I did a, a dictionary of Yorkshire language, and I found some words in Doncaster that I didn't know in, da- in Barnsley. So um, the word grod meaning an old pushbike. You ever heard that one, David? Where does that derive from? I've no idea. Grod, Jonnock, meaning genuine. He's a Jonnock fella. That's interesting. These little tiny, they're micro-languages. I remember talking about Mark Ratcliffe. We once did a thing on his programme where we got people to send in their examples of micro-language. It was a language that only works in their house. You know, so words for the remote control, pass me the dip, dip, pass me the so-and-so. Somebody else said in their house, if the dad wanted to diffuse an argument, he'd go, oh, camping magazines. Because when they were little, if they would diffuse an argument, he'd say, right, if you don't stop arguing, I won't let you look at the camping magazines. Oh, that's so, so brilliant. So when that's they were all abbreviated, it's just, oh, camping. oh, camping magazines. So that kind of micro-language is very, very interesting. Oh, I wonder if people have these things, kind of things from work, because it's interesting, you know, you and I have worked together for a long, long time, and there's still elements of a private language. That, oh, completely. Uh, that you and I and it's Neil Tennant and Ian yeah, yeah. and whatever yeah. will still share. And actually, somebody's just uh, tweeted in, uh, wanted to know, this is Unpopcult, who wants to know, what does, we refer to the square of cold lino, what does that actually mean? 
What does it mean? How sweet. Well, it, the square of Carolina, usually, which I used on Old Grey Whistle Test more than once, I think you did too, which was, I, I, the gag was, uh, some really good-looking girl was on the programme, and I said, oh, it's whoever it was, Lucinda Williams. Or I said, I may have to go and stand on a square of Carolina and have a rub down with a copy of Folk Roots. <laughs> and the editor of Folk Roots, as it was then called, was now called Efrooge, very lovely fellow called Ian Hansen, actually got in touch and slightly wounded, actually, as if the only thing, Folk Roots was just like bromide. <laughs> you know, it's not something you took to kind of quell your libido. You know. But a square of cold liner. Yeah. But those, those things are so funny. Neil Tennant of uh, Pet Shop Boys, who was with us at Smash Hits, and I found, somebody found a lovely picture of uh, myself and Neil uh, meeting a member of ABBA in 1982, and I sent it to him the other day, and he sent, sent an email about it, and just said, just what you're talking about, it just said, fruity drinks were taken. Now, fruity <laughs> drinks, fruity drinks was a joke that we used to use at Smash Hits, when we were on Smash Hits, and you, you wanted to say to the 12-year-old girl readers, you know, that uh, people were pissed out of their heads. Yeah. You, they, they used these millions of euphemisms. One of them was like, fruity drinks had been taken. You know, it's just a lovely idea. I love it. Neil still uses that. You know, there he is in the Petrol Boys. Well, still about fruity six, drinks. There's still yeah. about six people who ring each other up, having not spoken to each other for absolutely years. And the opening salutation will be, Man! Man. I know. And it's either you or Neil or oh, yeah. Ian Birch or Steve Bush. Everyone at Smash is called Man, don't they? <laughs> Including the girls. The girls yeah, are called it's Man. extraordinary yeah. how those things hang on. Yeah. The Word Podcast. Your mother might like it. Questions from the Massive out there. Beanie wants to know, would Ian consider Pete Sinfield to be the greatest poet of prog rock or just a naughty boy <laughs> well, I was always I was always a huge a King Crimson fan oh right because well, I've actually I don't need to you don't need well, to use the printed out lyrics that I've found well, 21st on the century schizoid man not so much but there was that fantastic one uh, what is it these are that's it um Moonchild including the dream and this is fantastic call her Moonchild dancing in the shallows of a river lovely Moonchild Dreaming in the shadow of the willow. I think that's fantastic because they've got a kind of half rhyme with river and willow. They've got Moonchild and the elves of Moonchild charming with willow. What was that album? Is he, is what, it, what's is he it sad about that? Is, it Lizard, is that the is it Lizard? That's one of the records called Lizard. Yes. There was some. There was a great lyrics on that. But do you think that kind of detail was taken on board by the average <laughs> Crimzo supporter? <laughs> though, who said it, I think it was cross-legged on a scatter cushion, putting together the skins. And uh, I think it was because we I was in the sixth form at the time, and we were we formed this thing called the Wath Grammar School Bizarre Club. Oh, and okay. We used to sit on top of some of the temporary buildings, and we we would and a young William Hague would walk past amusingly. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he was at the same school as me, and um, and we'd, we'd we'd do that. We'd because in those days you couldn't print them off, so you'd have to you'd have to either get the Detect lyrics off them. the album, oh, right. or, or you'd kind of miss them out. You'd, you'd get them wrong. But yeah, I think so. You don't mock those things at no, all. No, I don't. I, remember, I did once. I mocked um, when I used to write for the NME. I mocked um, Tony McPhee's lyrics on Whoa. "Thank Christ for the Thank Bob. Christ for the Bob. Yeah. I can quote you some now. My garden, my garden's overgrown, and the weeds are creeping up on my home. And and t- and at the time, my, um, go, on. go on. I was going to say, my garden, my garden's going to look like the distant past. Mm. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to cut, going to cut a single grain of blade of grass. My garden's going to look like distant past. I made a real hash of that, didn't I? Mm. But anyway, that's that's but, the lyric. At the time, <laughs> I stupidly, I, and I now realise how good those lyrics are. But at the time, I wrote, "This is like bad sixth form poetry." Then I went to see him at the Civic Hall in Barnsley, and he shouted, Barnsley, eh? Some blow from Barnsley called my lyrics bad six-form poetry. <laughs> my mates, fellow six-formers, they were all pointing at me. So, it, was yes. the, it was him! It was <laughs> really? Yeah. You it was, were identified from the stage? I was, not, not, I, was, I was identified, they didn't know I was there. All right. But somebody from Barnsley, and so my mates knew it was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I like this. I think Pete Silmfield... I wonder if he... Does he still write? He, he still... Did, well, last one, I'm sure he writes for loads of people, but he, he had a subsequent success. 
writing lyrics for Buck's Fizz, didn't he? I think he did, that's right, yeah. Isn't uh, that interesting when people who write that kind of thing will then, because they've learnt the craft, can then sit down and write a Buck's Fizz song. I suppose so. It's very interesting. So, yeah, yeah. It's I'd like to see some poems of it. I'd love to see poems. I'm sure they're available. So, Baskerville, <laughs> Old F, says, As many CD users return to vinyl, how annoying are the pops, clicks and jumps? Is the warmer sound really worth it, he says, Mark. Pops, clicks and jumps on, 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 on records, if you're going back to vinyl. That's a good point, really. Doesn't I don't know, the ones, the ones I play, I, I always feel they remind me of the moment I, I, those pops, clicks and jumps were, yeah, yeah, were actually yeah. caused by some mate of mine typically out of ash onto the, onto the record or whatever, so it doesn't really bother me. I'm amazed, actually. Last Saturday night, I found at the top of my records my original copy of Sgt Pepper, which I bought the day it came out, so 1967, and it's a mono copy, Ooh. and I played it. And it sounded fantastic. And it didn't have a scratch on it. I couldn't believe it. I think they were manufactured so much better in those days than they were in the later days of vinyl. Or else you loved got... it so much you never left it around, lying around the floor, you know. You'd yeah, probably, I don't, I don't remember it taking it to parties sleep. or anything like that. Rab T. Dog wants to know music writers ever pursued by groupies. <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, we better cut this bit, Fraser. Yeah. Oh, he's blushed. Oh, uh, what's the next question? <laughs> I, I, when I was very, I never happened to me. I, I, I can't tell. Okay, moving on. Moving on. I was only twenty-three. So New Music Express. New Music Express. You were it was like being in a rock band. Yeah, it was. Any move on. Wesley Doyle. <laughs> Wesley Doyle says Kate Bush has re-recorded her old songs for a new album. Has this ever been a worthwhile ex- experience for anybody? Somebody re-recording their old songs. Loads of people have done. The reason they do it usually is copyright reason, isn't it? It, it usually means they haven't got the ownership made a record of the artist. So did uh, Mick Huckle. Well, right? Kate Bush can't be doing that because she's, you know, TMI. She's got the masters and so forth. I would have. You think so? There must be a reason, actually, because Squeeze certainly did it because they they, they wanted to they wanted to get money on their own. You could do it to go back and I mean, if imagine going back and re-recording 21st century Schizoid Man now. Actually, in the 21st century, for a start, and then it's <laughs> the 20th century. Before. 22nd century, yeah, supposed to be. As an older person, you go back and look at your old work, don't you? Maybe you know a, a lyric like "Cat's Foot, Iron Claw, Neurosurgeon Scream for More." I think it's got a nice resonance, but maybe it's got but, even more resonance now. I don't know. <laughs> well, you would see that was that was the great issue, wasn't it? With Led Zeppelin reforming in whatever it was, 2007 or whatever it was, 2008, it played mm. at the at the O2, mm. and I was sitting quietly at the front of the stage watching Robert Plant, who now must be about 50. Yeah, he was 59, I think, at the time, and he was singing lyrics that he wrote. When he's particularly stay away to heaven, which he wrote when he was yeah. 21. Now, let's be honest, go back and find some poetry that any of us might have written or anything yeah. we might have written yeah. when we were 21. Would we want to be yes. singing that? <laughs> oh, my God, I feel ill. It's just a bustle, a little bustle in your hedgerow, wherever oh. it is. It's a spring clean for the May Queen. We've I mean, all written a poem for Six Month magazine, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. Well, imagine, Dave, you've got to go I and can, sing that. I can that tell you the first time. No, I'm not going no, to. Go on, go on. No, go No, no. Think about it. Uh, right, I'll tell you what the first time was. My thoughts are like confetti. <laughs> no. um, I'm going to guess. No. I, it, just to think about it would force yes. me to snap into a fetal position under the duvet in the middle of the yeah. night and then not sleep for about an hour. You know what I mean? Just thinking about adolescent poetry. I do people a... still write it? Oh, they do. do. Oh, do what, teenagers, yes. do they still? Yeah, the same poems. When I do write do they write on paper? Sometimes, yeah, they write them on the iPad or they write them on the, the laptop, but it's the same thing. It's the oh, same really? thing about I was in a, death and destruction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love and, yeah. I was in a group once with a tremendous uh, rock critic, Tom Hibbert, mm. and we played a song a long time ago, which was a, a poem he wrote when he was 18, and uh, which he did as a joke. 
because it was so 18-year-old poetry, and the opening line was, Jasmine Lady, cotton aeroplane, she flies, <laughs> comma, portobello, comma, in the rain. <laughs> and I thought, that, that is what an 18-year-old Tom Hibbert would be writing about, isn't it? The dream of going to Labrick Grove, meeting an amazing hippie chick. <laughs> we regularly reflect, you know, uh, Jackson Brown wrote These Days when he was 15 years really? old. Really? Yeah. Wow. But she's got the line... Is it these days where you got the line, if at times I seem afraid to live the life that I've made in song, it's just that I've been losing for so long. Mm. It's just unbelievable. What do you mean, 15? 15. Rather than mum, I'm on my way down and I've cleaned the tidy my room. You know, it's <laughs> much, much, much. <laughs> Talking to the songwriters, KJL Ring, I mean, it's somebody's screen name, presents a dilemma, which they do from time to time, you know, this person or that person. Randy Newman or Tom Waits? Randy Newman or Tom Waits? We're all allowed a vote. We'll go around. Fraser. Tom Waits. Ian. Tom Waits. Uh, well, Mark Tom Waits, I would say. Well, I'm sorry, I'm completely... <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> That's right. It's Randy Newman. Yeah, and the reason for that is Dave what? Randy Newman's a master songwriter. Tom Waits is a fantastic musical personality. He's, he's a personality vehicle. Tom right. Waits. I know... Randy Newman is, you know, Stephen Sondheim, Kurt Porter. I'm gonna, I, I identify the centre of this argument for you, and this argument is to do with artifice. Am I right or am I wrong? Uh, Randy Newman's songs, I, listen, I love from both. the heart. I love both of them. Tom Waits' songs are written in the fictional characters which he inhabits to write songs. Am mm-hmm. I right? I don't think it's that. I just think Randy Newman, I think his music will in the end go further than Tom Waits' music, because it's been in, you know, it's proved itself already in his lifetime to be, you know, it's the kind of thing that, I don't know, Dusty Springfield could sing or some sort of edgy punk band could sing or it could be in a musical or it could be on a film soundtrack. It, it, his music just goes everywhere. It has a fantastic resonance to it. All right, let me uh, put this to you. Has he said anything funny on stage between songs? Because I saw Tom Waits recently and he said, why don't prawns give money to charity? Because basically they're shellfish. Yes, you told that joke. Have I already Have I already Telling somebody else's joke twice. <laughs> Not even my joke. Randy, he was, he's very funny, actually, because the he night he had a night match. Were you in that show? In New- I didn't go to the show, yeah, but he we was there. We in Newcastle, mm-hmm. and he played that night. And I, 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 I love Randy Newman and, and everything he does. But uh, anyway, that's it's an interesting it's an interesting. Tom Waits got an award the other day. I'm not crazy oh, yeah, about Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I don't quite understand what being inducted into it means or what actually it is. But there was a terrific picture of him with Neil Young, the two of them, uh, Neil Young who, who had inducted him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was rather a tremendous. And final question from Mr. Mayor: Do we really have great summer tunes, or does everything sound summery when the sun's out? It's funny, I listened to that Arrival podcast that the Monocle do. Do you know the Monocle podcast? Oh, right, podcast? Okay. Oh, right. The Monocle do a very interesting summer podcast, uh, which is not at the moment, obviously, but when it's on, they play some quite bland music, but because it's on the Monocle summer podcast and because I listen to it first thing in the morning on my early morning walk and the sun's coming up, then it, the music feels better. So I think that's right. I think it's yeah. because the sun's up, then a bland song or a song that's banal can feel better, I reckon. I've always wanted to write a summer hit, so maybe that's what we should Yes. Do. Well, no, now, talking of that, you can plug your, uh, your CD oh, in. Oh, CD, yes. My new CD with the Ian McMillan Orchestra called Homing In. A great oh, picture of me on the front. Very fine picture of Ian on the front eating a pork pie. Yeah, and then inside a picture of my parents, because a lot of the pieces on there are about them. They met as pen pals. My dad was that rare thing, a teetotal Scottish sailor. <laughs> my mother was... Uh, <laughs> they had very dull AGMs involving Vimto and Ribena discussions, and... My mother was in the WAFs and they met as pen pals and got married on a 48-hour pass 
in the war. And my dad got a 48-hour pass, but my mother didn't. She applied for a 48-hour pass, they wouldn't give her one. So she leapt over the fence at RAF Blackbrook and ran and went up to Peebles, where they got married. She went back after one night of passion in the Tontine Hotel on the main street. She went back and... They put it in a glass house for two weeks. Isn't that fantastic? Well, the rest of their lives. My dad dismissed that romance, fed the rest of their lives, you know, so it was always. By the end of their lives, you know, my dad had a stroke, and because they were used to being apart, it was so interesting, because he had always been in the Navy, been away for two years at a time. So when he came home, she'd send him out. And when he had a stroke and he couldn't move, she'd sit in the other room and shout through to him, You all right, Jack? She called him Jack, even though his name was John. You all right, Jack? <laughs> and he'd go, I'm fine, thanks, Olive. And I'd say, Look, here's the thing, why don't you sit in the same room? And they're going, Oh, don't be silly. It was, that was so interesting. Yeah, they loved each it other. Works. Very much. You it works. You wouldn't understand. It works. Right. Yeah. So, yes, the new album it contains uh, we've got Hurdy Gurdy, bass, fiddle, squeeze box, guitar, and me sometimes speaking. Uh, sometimes you've got songs, sometimes it's songs. I think it's a, nice, it's a nice experiment. And a great picture on the front of me eating a pork pie. And you've got Brilliant. Luke Goss in the group, but Luke not Goss. the one out of Bross. No, it's Luke Carver Goss. <laughs> we have to give it to Colin, because people think it's Luke Goss and Ian McKellen. So that what else have we got to plug, Fraser? Facebook, group, anything else? Uh, there's a uh, massive drink in London next Friday. Oh, right, OK. Prince Arthur in Euston. Up the side of Euston Station. Yeah. Very salubrious. All, all invited. I'll explain here that it means a drink for the massive. For the Is massive that that place that used to be that women's only? I don't oh. know. Ooh, don't know Is that the one that, that it used to be a woman's only place? That's outside Euston Station that's got all the names of the places on it. And it says Bakeup, Barnsley, Bolton, Bradford. I don't think so. Oh, really? right, it's a different place. But oh, really? As you go to Euston, there's those two stone buildings. Yeah, yes. yeah. And one of them, I think, was a women's only pub. Oh, oh, brilliant. We'll investigate that. Mm. Ian, thanks for coming. Thank you. What are you doing next? You're uh, you're on Radio 3 tomorrow morning. Radio uh, 3 tomorrow morning on The Breakfast Show, doing my interactive consequences. Then they think there's mess. There's no point in me going home, so I'm staying on to do my Radio 3 show in the evening, where we've got the great Garrison Keeler. Excellent. Oh, we just written a piece about he's it written a, he's written a, a battle of the voices, won't he? He will, actually. I think I might have to put a comedy whistling ass, because he couldn't do that. <laughs> Garrison <laughs> Keeler. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk.